I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. When actor John Ritter abruptly died nearly 16 years ago, the world was stunned. Yet the actor, best known for TV shows like Three's Company, Cooperman, and Eight Simple Rules, lives on in the memories of those who watched him and those who worked with him. One of the latter, of course, is Richard Klein, who played Jack Tripper's best friend, Larry Dallas, on Three's Company. To pay tribute to John Ritter, we're turning the focus of this episode of the Classic TV Podcast to Richard, who reflects on their friendship, remembers the last time they saw each other, and points out that after all those years, John was still John. You know, when I say the name John Ritter, what comes to mind to you? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> friend, uh, comedy genius, and all-around good guy. Great father. Wait, there's too many things that just come to mind. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> uh, base, baseball fan, Beatles fan. I didn't know that. Huge Beatles fan. As a matter of fact, at his funeral... Uh, this cabaret singer, Amanda McBroom, sang uh, A Day in the Life. Oh, wow. There are places I remember in my life. That one. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. I didn't know that. Not a dry seat in the house. Oh, no. Not at all. You know, yeah. you, you, yep. know you meant you, one of the phrases you used was nice guy. Uh, that's That's really the words if you had to see for anybody I've spoken to or anything I've read that always seems to be the go-to for John is nice guy, good yeah. guy, that kind of thing. Well, you know, it, this show was called three's company, but it, you know, it might as well have been called the John Ritter show because I mean, he drove the physical comedy. He drove the relationship comedy. He, he, he was, he was a star of that show. And no matter how many blondes came and went, you know, and, through the years, people who had worked on that show that I may have run into or read in print, they say what a friendly set it was. And the reason it was a friendly set is because there was no egomania at the top. You know, the, John was very gracious to everyone who, who appeared on the show. And, and you know, that burnished his reputation. But you know what's fun, funny? It's like, and I'm not gonna, I'm not getting into the whole uh, behind the scenes craziness of what went on with with his co stars and stuff. But it's amazing to me though that you could have a guy at the top who is of that mental state or or that attitude, I should say, surrounded by maybe others that weren't that didn't follow it, even though he was setting the example. Um, no, I, I don't know if you're alluding to. Suzanne. Well, the whole, the whole no, Suzanne no. Summers thing, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, um, that, that's, that, that's, that's a, that's a separate issue as, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, you know, that, that, that's an employment issue. That was, a, that, that had nothing to do with the relationships on or off the set, oh, okay. really. Really. Oh. I mean, hey, well, I mean, during the height of the crisis, yeah, of course it affected the relationship, but no, he was, um, you know, he was known for his charity work as well. You know, the cerebral palsy um, foundation, whatever. And he was, um, he, he just, he had this great persona of being a generally outgoing down to earth guy. You never, you never got any sense of 
massive ego with John, at least not when I was around him. So, yeah. Now, did you stay friends with him after the show ended at all? Well, I, for a while there, no. But then later, much later, actually about a year or two before he, he passed, uh, we, we sort of reconnected. I mean, when you're on a show for eight years, five days a week, you know, you see a lot of that person and um, they have their lives, you know, you have your own life or whatever. And so we were, you know, wives and friends, whatever, dinner parties, none of that. Right. Um, the la My last encounter with John was he and I and his brother Tom went to a Dodger game in August before the September that he passed. Oh, wow. And had a great and had a great time. He also came to see me in a, a show, a, a show art that I did down in the Pacific Palisades, uh, which was uh, I was quite thrilled that you know it was a schlep from Los Angeles down to the Palisades. Sure, sure. And he and he came to see me. We had a great visit. Um, but you know, I mean, we were we were we were set pals. You know. But when you flash forward all those years later then to reconnect with him, like you said, shortly before he passed, any changes in him? I mean, like, were you struck? Was he the same kind of person? Did anything change same. from those days? Same. Same. No, same guy. He just, you know, he just put on some weight and grew a beard. But other than that, he's he's the same John. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I visited him on the set of Eight Simple Rules. Oh. He took me. He introduced me to the audience, and then he took me back. And uh, oddly enough, at that particular time in his dressing room, which was massive, wherever I don't know where it was shot, doesn't matter. But right. uh, uh, Simple Shepherd and Peter Bogdanovich were there, and you know, he was he was uh, same John, same yeah. funny stuff. That's great. Seriously, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, the audience feels such an affinity for him. I mean, it was funny because even though he wasn't in a lot of long running shows, he did a lot of work. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of TV movies and a lot of work. And so there was obviously a very strong connection between him and the, him and the audience. What do you think yeah. that connection was? Uh, All-American boy. The guy you would want if you were a, a mother, the guy you'd want to marry your daughter. Right. The guy you would want on your uh, – on your softball team, <laughs> the, guy, <laughs> the guy you'd want to go, you know, if you were into uh, hunting and fishing, the guy you'd want to go fishing with. Right. Um, because he was just, you know, he, I mean, look, physically you look at him, he just, you know, he looked like, uh, the all American guy, you yeah. know, there was, there was, there was nothing charactery about John. He was, he was a handsome, funny dude. Right. And, and he, he emanated goodwill. As a matter of fact, I don't think, I mean, I haven't looked at his resume in a while because it's not something I do, but I don't think he's ever really played a villain villain. Oh, I don't think so either. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I mean, Sling Blade, he was totally out of the box character that he played and um, a lot of romantic movies of the week. Uh, but but nothing where he was was a killer because I know you wouldn't buy John Ritter as a killer. No, <laughs> a criminal. It is a rare occasion, I think, where you can look at somebody and say, you know, who you're used to being this one form in terms of the humor, especially, and then they say, well, I'm going to go more dramatic now, or I'm going to go more horrific now, and it's very hard yeah. to make yeah. that leap, if especially for somebody with that strong a connection yeah. with the audience. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and, and he did. Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been compared, you know, because of his physical comedy, whatever he's been compared to Dick Van Dyke, but with all respect to Dick Van Dyke, I don't think Dick, Dick, Dyke, Dick Van Dyke had the chops to do the kind of dramatic work that John did. Yeah. And John's a university trained actor, you know? So, uh, you know, and people did, you know, eventually start to recognize and give him chops to that, but you can't, you can't escape the notoriety and worldwide notoriety of, of, uh, of three company. <laughs> it's like, right. who knew that this show would be, you know, still being rerun 40 some odd years later. It's insane. Is that, is that, I was going to ask you that, is that mind blowing to you? The fact that it's still very much yeah. a part no, of the popular, it's, complete, it's completely mind blowing. To me. Yeah. Completely mind blowing. I mean, it's, it's right up there with, with, as far as longevity with, with, I love Lucy. I yeah. mean, and and ironically, of course, Liz Lucy did a five year re, re, retrospective on our show. <laughs> but I mean, I had no idea. I mean, when I was doing the show, at least the first, well, more than the first few years, I just thought, I thought it was silly and cartoon, and we were always doing cartoon stuff, and the audience ate it up, and we were number one, and blah blah blah. And I never realized, really, kind of got to like the show until years later when. Uh, you know, watching reruns and going, well, that was some funny stuff we did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? but I, and it was never, I think what gave it longevity is uh, the fact that it was never topical, you know? Right. I mean, kudos to Archie Bunkers and Archie Bunkers plus whatever, dealing with some sensitive issues. And in Norman Lear, that's his MO to take social issues and, and uh, wrap them, entwine them into comedy. God, it sounded like some sort of TV historian. Anyway, <laughs> um, he, he, there was never there was never any uh, you know any attempt to be topical. It was all it's all about you know paying the rent and misunderstandings and is he gay is he not gay and, and falling over couches. But that you know basically that's kind of hilarious stuff when it's done well. Yeah. And look, you know, I love all in the family. I treasure the Norman Lear shows from the seventies and all. But they're of sure. the 70s. They they are a time capsule, basically, in a lot of ways. As, yeah. as, however, yeah. you know, strong the material is and classic those shows are, they are yeah. a time capsule. This show, like many of the real, you know, the real classic TV shows, transcend time because of that timeless quality, I think, that you just were talking about. I, I think so. I, I, I really do think so. I mean, otherwise, why would why would, you know, distributors like, Antenna TV and Lego and Deja Vu and TV Land and Nick at Night. Why would they pick it up if they didn't think it had legs? And exactly. it obviously does have legs. I had an executive from uh, Nickelodeon. I, I was doing a, I was doing a series for Nickelodeon in 1999, I think, called No One Knows Best. I was down in Orlando, mm -hmm. and the vice president of Nickelodeon. He said, uh, "I just want to thank you." I said, "For what?" He said, "You, you paid for my son's college." Because of the show, Aaron. <laughs> because of, yeah, because of of the distributor fee and whatever, you know. That's great. Yeah. The money maker, obviously. Oh yeah. Right? Hey, you get yeah. a show like that that's syndicated like that one is. I mean, that's yeah. you know that's really where the money is. It's certainly not in the first run. No. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. it's in syndication. You know, we when it ended because you said you got the appreciation for the show afterwards. When it ended, were you bummed, or was it more about like, ah, shit, now i got to find another job? Well, no, no, because, okay, here's what happened when, when the show, uh, 
was ending. Okay. Um, I had auditioned for a, a series called His and Hers for CBS. And I was cast uh, opposite Shelley Fabre. And this was at the simultaneously, the producers offered me 10 out of 13 episodes on Three's A Crowd, which I turned down because, you know, it was like you do a pilot for CBS, you're the star with Shelley Fabre. Like, you know, why not? So right. but the pilot did not sell. Um, uh, and they they had me back uh, to do one guest spot on Teresa Crowd to visit to visit Jack and his, and his new wife. Right. Yeah. Somebody told me I didn't realize somebody interviewers like to bring up the fact that I was on all three shows: the Three's Company, the Ropers, and Three's a Crowd. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did. You were the one person that I didn't that, realize. Right? And, yeah. Which I didn't realize until they told me. <laughs> yeah. And did that, I mean, I, I don't know if that was the source of annoyance or not, or was the whole Three's a Crowd, ending a Three's Company, going to Three's a Crowd, was that annoyance or just you didn't care? <laughs> it's just the way they did it. I, me personally? Yeah. No, I, no, I, I, I didn't care. But, I mean, I was, I think at the same time, uh, yeah, I don't think, I, my daughter was born in February of 1984. Right. February is when I shot the pilot. February was when they they told me that you know we're going to give you a guest spot on on um, on Three's a Crowd. So I no, I didn't I didn't care really. Yeah. I, yeah. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I didn't care so much that I don't think I saw ten minutes of Three's a Crowd. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I just you know I was wasn't interested. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. You know, after being in a success like Three's Company, and like you said, John Ritter was yeah. sort of at the top of the food chain on that show. But what impact yeah. does that have on your career? You know, when you're leaving a show like as successful as well, Three's Company was. Well, uh, well, during and after. Uh, I mean, for example, if you're on a if you're on a hit show like that, then they then the, the network, which was ABC, they cross pollinate. So, I mean, I did like four Love Boats, you know, that kind of thing. You're always being asked. I did a guest spot on one day at a time. Really? <laughs> after, <laughs> yeah, after I left Three's Company. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, you know, you get you get hired. Uh, there's a stigma to it, and the, and there's a plus plus side to it. You get hired for like these theater companies that say, oh, you know, Richard Klein from Three's Company, blah, 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 and it's like. 600 seat dinner theater in Kansas. Why not? You know, everybody does it. Right. Um, but uh, I also, you know, I had a dramatic resume as well with, with Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, NYPD Blue. So, I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure I was typecast. I, I, I don't, I don't doubt it for a second, but I, I, I never suffered. And I did a lot of theater and I'm still doing theater, uh, which is my first love. So okay. I never thought, you know, I never said, oh, I'm never going to work again because I'm associated with Three's company. I just right. keep on plugging, you know, whatever. You also had the benefit in one way. Like, like John could have been much more trapped if he didn't fight that. You know what I mean? He could have been Jack Tripper for the rest of his life. Uh, yeah. Because he was sort of center stage on that show. So there is that benefit, too, in a sense. Because a lot of times guys don't escape the stigma of uh, 
Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Look, look at Michael Keaton. I mean, Keaton was a stand-up comedian. Right. His his first movie was a comedy with with, with uh, I think Night Shift or whatever yeah. that he was featured in. And and then he goes on to forge his career as a ter- terrific dramatic actor. He's also a pal of mine. That's why I'm bringing up his name. But yeah. I mean, it, you know, you can, if you have talent, you can transcend, transcend that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that in the early seventies, you know, the dawn of the ice age, I, <laughs> um, I studied voice in New York for five years. And, and so a lot of my resume at theater is, is musical comedy. Right. So, you know, as a matter of fact, I teach, I teach a class in New York acting class, and I tell my students, I said, look, if you, if you want to make a mark yourself in this business, I encourage you to, uh, to pursue all three disciplines, singing, dancing, and acting. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, why not? I mean, it's your body. That's your instrument. You're not playing the saxophone. You're playing your body. Yep. You know. It's funny. You brought up the Michael Keaton thing a minute ago. What's so funny is about Keaton is like, yeah, he broke, he had his chops stand up comic and all that stuff. Do you remember the outcry when he got cast as Batman? How people yeah. went insane over that, and all of a sudden afterwards, it was I like, oh, of course he's Batman. <laughs> I know, I know. And some think he's like the best Batman. Yeah, he's great. He's really no, great. He's great. Yep, absolutely. You know. So, what are you up to these days? Theater or what? What's well, going on? Yeah, I'm on tour. I'm on tour now with uh, Waitress, a Broadway musical. Oh, great. We're in Detroit, and uh, I joined the tour in December, and we're going through August uh, 18th of this year. Who are you playing in Waitress? I'm playing the Andy Griffith role, the owner of the diner. Oh, great. <laughs> That's a great role. Yeah. I, I saw the show on Broadway. Yeah. yeah. That's a great show. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a great good. show. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Absolutely. Good. Yep. Good stuff. You know. Yeah, i got to move before I let you go back to your life. Just, just a quick what, last one about John. Uh, when you think of what John's legacy is, how would you describe it? Well, I think his legacy is providing laughs for millions and millions of people, genuine belly laughs for millions and millions of people. I mean, you know, we, we talked about it previously about his other ventures. He has a terrific resume and dramatic and, and comedic, but, he will be ever, ever associated with Jack Tripper, and that gives people joy. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, you know, over the years said to me, "Oh, thank you for the laughs," and you know, I learned right. I learned English watching your shows and whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's a freaking it's a freaking phenomenon, and uh, I, I still sort of can't get. Out. I mean, people come up. To, I have a, a have white hair. Uh, I just had a birthday, which makes me older than Methuselah. And um, <laughs> that old huh? <laughs> uh, people come up to me and they go, Larry, I go, what? How do you know? I have white hair. You can't, you can't possibly know who I am. Anyway, it's like people just, they just love that show. It's weird. It is. It's again, it's, yeah, his legacy, his legacy will be, his, his legacy will be one of the king, you know, Game of Thrones, How about Game of Comedians. He's like, yeah, he's up there as one of the kings of comedy. Yeah. Nice and I'm, I'm, his, I'm his Tyrion. I'm the dwarf who comes in and, you know, says, Jack, let's go to the Regal Beagle and we'll meet Cersei and have a martini. I think you got a whole new spinoff here. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking. I think, 
I think Ed, I think it's time for me to take my meds. We hope you enjoyed this special look back at John Ritter. Please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.